Man, good morning once again. We're excited to have you with us on, uh, on this wonderful Sunday morning when we're beginning a new series. Uh, first of all, how many, how many of you are here to pray for a specific team? We had, we had three people actually confess to it at the first service. They're like, yep, I'm here to pray for the Niners. I'm like, all right. Um, and like Jesus doesn't care. Uh, so I'm going to say because the Cowboys aren't in. Uh, so, uh, so, so he hadn't cared for a long time, apparently. Uh, so thank you, yeah. Man, we're starting a new series, and um, it's, it's uh, about the book of Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. <laughs> say Habakkuk. I'm just kidding. There's just a lot of K's in Habakkuk. Um, how many of you know where the book of Habakkuk is? Two people? How many of you are willing to stand up and say, I know exactly where it is. This is the book previous to it. Can we narrow it down? It's in the OT, right? It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. Okay, and it comes towards the end of the Old Testament. And the reason you don't know is because it's a minor prophet, right? It's not one of the majors. It's not Isaiah or Jeremiah. No one talks about Habakkuk very often. It's also very, very short. Um, it's a very short book that was written by um, a priest. Uh, he was a Levite, uh, is what we know about him. So he would have done stuff like this. He would have worked in the temple and he would have led worship maybe, and he would have been very clear and knew what the scripture and what God's law was because the time that he is writing follows King Josiah's time. And everybody, y'all remember King Josiah, right? Yep, nope, okay. King Josiah was the guy who came along and he was a king that had the heart of God and he actually uncovered the books of Moses. And it was the first time in hundreds of years that the people of Israel had actually read the law and they'd read the story of the creation and they'd read the story of the Exodus and, and they'd read the story of God's forming his people. It was the first time in, in forever that they had done this. And so he set them back away from their pagan ways onto worshiping God, but they didn't quite get it, right? As the people of Israel always tend to do, they, they, they turned away from their pagan gods, but they came to the true God with the same heart that they were worshiping their pagan gods. And, and, and then his son takes over, Jehoiakim, and, and, and he didn't really care and he kind of messed stuff up. And, and so Habakkuk is this priest who has a love, deep love and heart for God. And, and everything he reads about God, his, his heart for God just grows. But he sees the people of Israel disregarding all of the things that God, they were doing it maybe in, by going through the practice of it, but, but they weren't really engaged in it. And he knew this and it hurt him. And then God delivers this message to him. And essentially the, the first it's the, 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 theory, the series title is When God Doesn't, right? When, when God Doesn't, and then it could be whatever. Because have you ever had a, one of those moments where when God just doesn't? You, you know what I'm talking about? Like last weekend, thankfully, Troy was able to step in for me and, and so I could go uh, do a little Sabbath as he was talking about at the end of our 2020 series. And, and I went out to West Texas to, uh, to the Big Bend National Park with a group of guys and um, and we, we do this every year. I don't go every year, but this is the 11th straight year that they've done this. And, um, and, and I've done it. The last time I did it, I was 40, so five years ago. And, and I was fine going up the hill. Casa Grande is what we hike. And has anybody, any Casa Grande conquerors in here? Yeah, I was going to say, I can't believe you're not emphatically saying that. Okay, a few of you, if you have not ever climbed Casa Grande, don't. It's dangerous. It should not be allowed. It's not even a trail. It's, it is not marked on um, the map. You have to go up the Lost Mines Trail and then hang a right, uh, essentially, and then just find your way up the shale. And it's like this, straight up, maybe like that, uh, really. You're hanging on, 
um, and it's shale. So you, every time you take a step, you fall three feet down, right? You know what I'm talking about? You just like slide. Um, one year, a guy was like, I feel like I'm on a uh, running machine. Like I'm, not, I'm pumping my legs, treadmill, but I'm not going anywhere. So you get up to the top and it was great. And, and there was 12 of us on this trip and I think I was number six. So I destroyed, you know, those, those other guys. Um, and, and I was very sure about that. I didn't want to be last up, up the mountain. And we get up there and, and we, we have a great time. The weather came in and it just started blowing and got really cold. So we, we started going down before we were ready. Well, before I was ready. Um, and, and so we started going down, uh, down this mountain and um, there's one way that these guys always go down. And it's straight down, essentially. They just fly down the shale, they drop, they roll, they get up. They're all using ski poles, like nerds. Um, actually, it's, it's kind of a brilliant move. I should have had one. Um, and, so, and they go down and they make it. And I'm going down and there's this guy, and I'm gonna dime him out right now, Whit Jordan. Some of you know Whit, Whitney. Um, and so Whitney is like, I do not wanna go down the shale this year. I'm gonna go the regular path. It's gonna take us longer. Crocker, are you with me? I was like, lead the way, brother Whit. You know, and, I'm like, I'm not going straight down either. So we go down for a while and we get to this turning. He goes, all right, Crocker, this is the normal path, the path that we came up, the path that's gonna take us a whole lot longer to get down, but it's not very steep. This is the way to go. He goes, but I've gone this way quite a few times also. And I'm like, is there any shale this way? Like, are we out of the shale fall? He's like, oh yeah, there's no shale anymore. Liar. So I was like, okay, we'll go this way. So we start going that way. And eventually Wit just leaves me in the dust. Other guys come behind me, start catching me. And I'm yelling down the mountain, you're a liar, Wit Jordan. And he can't hear me at this time. He's already at the truck, you know? Um, and so it ta at one point, my legs give out. Totally, my quads go. They, they tell me, hey, remember the last five years since the last time you were here? Remember what you did? Nothing. And we're very tired. It's a lot to carry down this hill. And so my legs just gave out and, and I could not, I could go 10 feet and stop. And I will also give credit to this guy because he saved me by talking to Pete McLaughlin, nicest guy in the world, stayed behind to talk with me. And he, he would be like, he could have scampered down like a gazelle, um, but he stayed behind. It was like, come on Crocker, you got this. Let's talk about something, you know, and we'll talk about the Spurs. Okay, let's talk about the Red Sox, you know? And he'd stop every 10 feet. And I'm like, stop talking because you're making me out of breath. <laughs> it was until today that I could, like, I couldn't walk downstairs. Thank you. Uh, you. Those of you who saw me earlier in the week, that's a victory. I had to, I was going downstairs holding on to things to support my weight to get downstairs this week. It was very humbling. The reason I say all this is because there were multiple times when I was going down that hill where I was crying out to God going, where are you? Come on, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Get Jesus strengthened up some thighs, right? And I'm crying out, and have you ever been in those moments where you're like in those, like, and that was kind of, that was a fun moment. We had a great time, it was a great trip, but in those moments of anguish and pain where you're crying out, Jesus, where are you? And you get nothing, right? I mean, he didn't, Magically, like God could magically have made my thighs feel better, but maybe he was trying to teach me something different. You can amen on that one, right? When is it that God doesn't show up? Do you ever have those moments? And when you find yourself in those moments, do you ever get, I don't know, angry? Am I the only, this is the Irish in me coming out, I guess, right? Or really actually the Jewish side of me that comes out. When God doesn't show up, sometimes I just get mad. I'm like, I know you have the ability and the power to do this. Where are you? 
Have you ever, I'm sure none of you have been in a fight like this, but have you ever been in a fight where you're arguing with somebody and then they walk away and you go, don't you turn your back on me? Anyone ever done that with their spouse? Don't raise your hand. You, ever, you probably haven't, but have you ever seen a movie like that, right? Where they're in that moment and it's like, don't you turn, that's never said with like love music playing in the background, right? That's never that moment where it's like, oh, they're gonna end up together. No, that's a bad moment. Right, when you're yelling, don't you turn your back on me. Well, see, what Habakkuk is essentially doing is he's crying out for God to move, and then he's telling God, don't you turn your back on me. And that's really shocking. Because for most of us, we have been raised in such a way that you don't talk to God that way. Right, you can cry out for Jesus to move and God to show up in your life, but you're just like, you're just like asking him, like, God, Jesus, man, if it's, I know it's in your power, but if you got a you know, second to spare, brother, you don't get angry when he doesn't show up because we're not taught to interact with God on those terms. He's God and we're not, right? And so we're taught to interact with God when we come to the, the house of the Lord and when we come to this table, we come with reverence. We come with humility and awe and respect. And as a matter of fact, we should get down on our face. Remember, every time Moses encounters God, it's like this magical moment. He doesn't come with, with an angriness about him. He's, he's not from the South Pole. So, wait for it. Elf fans now? He's not an angry little elf. I knew my son would get that one. That was for him. See, so we're taught not to come that way to God. But sometimes in the darkest of moments, that's my reaction. My reaction when God doesn't show up sometimes when I need him to show up is, don't turn your back on me. What are you, where are you going? What else do you have to do in this world that you can't focus on me right now? Selfish, yes. Normal, yes. See, the people of Israel, they were never one to write about their complaints in an editorial of the Jerusalem Daily News. Right? They weren't ones who were like, all right, this is going really bad for me, so I'm just going to write an editorial op-ed in the paper and blast whatever's going on. They went straight to the big man. Right? I mean, this is the history of our story and of us as people is they go straight after God. In Psalm 142, David's like, I'm going to yell at God because he's not doing what I want him to do. And you, and you see these moments where they engage with God in such a way that we, because we've grown up in this, you know, ultra orthodox stuffy church like you don't talk to God that way nobody puts Jesus in the corner and you don't talk to God that way and so you have these moments where you where you go whoa whoa, whoa. that's that's a little raw man back up but see this is what this priest Habakkuk is doing he goes in Habakkuk 1 it, it talks about this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision it says how long O Lord must I call for help like, I've been crying out to you. How long must I call you? But you don't listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see those evil deeds? Must I watch all this misery? Why? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Why have you turned your back on me? Why? Don't you do it. 
right? I mean, Habakkuk is pretty confident in his relationship with God right here, it seems, because he's coming at him. Where are you? You look at everything that's going on. You just set us on this path to reclaim us as your people. You gave us these laws and and are building in me a love of you. And now you're turning your back on me. Why are you allowing all of this evil to happen? Why are you allowing all of these things to go unpunished? The law is paralyzed, he says. He's crying out for help and God doesn't answer. Have you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? Not like climbing down a mountain in some innocuous hill, but have you ever been there in that moment? He's like, I see all of this stuff going on in the world. He's taking it to a broader extreme, right? We had our confirmation kids submitted some questions to Maggie the other day and, and she was answering them and she had a couple that she's like, I need to come to you. And a lot of them were geared right here. And it was, why does God allow these evil things to happen in this world? Where is God in these moments? God, don't turn your back on us. It's a natural question for us to have. And when it becomes really, it's global sometimes, but then sometimes it becomes really personal. And it becomes hard. You all know my story with our daughter, Grace, who was worshiping in there earlier. She's been, she left, Grace has left the building. She has no time for daddy's sermon. She's like, I just need the music and then I'm out. You know, Grace is this beautiful gift that God has given to me and Jenna and really to the world, to be quite honest. She, she does more ministry than I have done my entire career. But, but, but she is this wonderful power and force, but she is a powerful force. Like she does not stop. She is on all the time. And sometimes it's a good on. Sometimes you get the good grace. When Grace is like happy and she's, she's talking with Alexa. She has, uh, we have Alexa in our house and, and she goes, Alexa, play Old Town Road, right? She wants to hear some music. Is that what it's called, right, Knox? Or Alexa, play Wheels on the Bus. She's very varied in her musical likes, right? Or she plays Let It Go. She likes to have Let It Go and she'll sit there. She goes, go. I'm like, wait for it, honey. That's not the part yet. Go. And I'm like, she's singing along. It's great. And it does those, those moments where it's just great and, and she wants to hear these stories. Recently, she's been on to uh, Bubba Baby. She calls Baby Bubba, Bubba Baby. And she wants to hear about Bubba Baby going to, um, going to the beach and what we did that day at the beach. And Baby Bubba, you can't put sand in your mouth. You shouldn't do that. And you see this little, and we have a picture of chunky little Corbin on the beach. He was a chunky, chunky kid, man. It was awesome. Um, and just, it, you know, it's cute. And she wants to hear that story. And we go through the story and it's great and it's fun, but it's very tiring because it does not stop. Right? It's a constant thing. It's a constant water torture of our life that sometimes is pleasant water, but it's still water. But then there's the other times where it goes to bad water and it becomes that water torture that hurts and is painful and like literally physically painful at times. We went to dinner last night with my brother and um, his wife and one of his kids and, and she wasn't expecting the kid to show up. And when the kid showed up, she didn't like that. And so she reached out and she started yanking on Jenna and pulling hers. And then she reached to her cousin and started pulling on her. And I had to physically carry her out of the restaurant and take her out of the situation because that's our life. That's what we do. It's a constant thing. There have been multiple times in these 14 years where I have shouted out to God, where are you? I know you have the power to heal her. 
do it. I've given my life to serve you. My wife has given her life to serve you too. We love you. We're all in with you, Jesus. Don't turn your back on us. And we get angry. I get angry and I get mad. And I throw dishes. Right, there's this, there's this beautiful picture of this couple who is in a room and they're in the kitchen and, they, and they're fighting with one another and it gets to the point where they're throwing dishes at each other. Which you think, you know, there should be police intervention at this point, right? But they don't leave the room because the relationship's too important. See, that, that's what God, this is what this is all about. Is Habakkuk is so entwined with the relationship of God, he's not leaving the room. He's gonna yell at God. He's gonna go, where are you? Don't you turn your back on us. You called us to be your people. You finally set us up in this path and now you've walked away. Don't turn your back on us. Step in, intervene, be here. You see, the thing about our culture is we don't want hurt. We don't want loss. We don't want isolation. We want to placate all of those things. We wanna, we wanna take medication or we wanna walk, look at screens. We wanna disassociate ourselves with anything that hurts us or that could hurt us because we don't want that kind of life anymore. But that's not life. See, really sitting in these moments of darkness and in these pains, that shows transformation of faith. Because it's in these moments of darkness and these valleys, these wilderness moments that God goes, now I got you. It's in these moments a lot of times where I find my greatest growth in my faith. Because it takes a lot of faith to believe that God has not answered and yet to be okay with it. To believe that God has not answered in the way that I want but to be okay with that. It takes a strong relationship to stay in the room and to throw dishes. It takes a strong relationship in the darkest of moments to yell out, where are you? I'm not leaving. You all know that C.S. Lewis is one of my heroes. And he wrote, uh, if you look at the modern version of this, The Magician's Nephew, it's called Book One. That's wrong. Lion, the Witch, of Wardrobe is Book One. But this is part of the Narnia series. And, and the magician's nephew is, is, the, is the origin story, if you will, of Narnia. It's how Narnia, for those of you who aren't familiar with Narnia, shame on you. Um, you should all go read all seven books right now. Um, and, and, or to your kids or whatever, or everybody. Um, so I'm actually going to start at the beginning. Just kidding. Um, so, uh, and the magician's nephew is how Narnia comes into being and how the animals begin to talk. And it's the foundation of this whole thing that... That, that Lewis is setting up as this allegory, this picture of, of uh, he calls it a supposal. Supposing God was the form of a lion and animals could talk, what would the kingdom of God look like? And that is, that is Narnia. And so Diggory is our first hero really as it comes in timeline of Narnia. Um, and he comes, his mother is dying. He gets taken from London, his, his earthly worldly home and he's transplanted into this new world that will become Narnia. And he's concerned about his mother who, who is dying. And he meets all these different characters. They go through this whole deal. He meets Aslan, this lion, this powerful lion. And, and Aslan gives him this task to go find an apple. And this apple is going to bring life. And he's like, it can save my mom. And, but Aslan says, no. Um, and, and he's like, that's not, that's not what we're doing. And then, then he ignores him. And then it comes to this place. Aslan says, I asked, are you ready? Yes, said Diggory. He had had 
for a second some wild idea of saying, I'll try to help you if you'll promise to save, save my mother. But he realized in time that the lion was not at all the sort of person one could try to make bargains with. But when he had said yes, he thought of his mother and he thought of the great hopes he had had and how they were all dying away. And a lump came in his throat and tears to his eyes. And he blurted out, but, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair, he looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. See, in this moment that Diggory finds the strength to confront the lion and to look him face to face and says, don't you turn your back on me. Nothing changes in the life of his mother. Aslan doesn't promise anything at this moment. He doesn't say that he is going to save her, although he eventually does. Diggory doesn't know this. What Diggory experiences, however, is something that changes him forever because he realizes that Aslan cares. That Aslan cares more than he does about his mother. See, there have been multiple times in, in, in my dark nights when I'm crying out to God and I picture this. I picture Jesus sitting beside me with tears bigger than mine saying, I hate that she hurts this way more than you do. I hate that you go through this and I'm here with you. See, he doesn't turn his back on us. He sits with us. He doesn't offer the healing or the hope that we necessarily want. He offers a different healing and a different hope. In these dark nights when God doesn't show up, when, we, when we're desperate to cry out, where are you? Don't you turn your back on me. What Habakkuk is leading us to is, is this understanding that he hasn't. That he cares more than we could ever imagine. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. I don't know where you are in your life stage and what's going on in your world right now. I'm sure, I'm positive because there's somebody in the room that some of you are experiencing dark nights right now and you're shouting out to God, where are you? And you're yelling at him not to turn his back and, and maybe this is the first time that you've been given the, the permission to yell at God. God wants you to engage in that relationship. God wants you to say, don't turn your back on me. I'm in this. I don't, know, I don't know where it is and what your experience is. I hope that you have the permission and the strength to yell and engage with God. And then I hope that you have the faith to look into his eyes, to see the tears that are, that are bigger and brighter than yours. And know that we have a God who cares and who loves and who cherishes us. When God doesn't, maybe it's just not time or maybe it's not right. 
but he still is God and he still is good. Our prayer team is gonna go to the back by the lamps and, and if you need to, which is very Narnian by the way, if you need to, um, if you're having one of those moments and you just need to go and you, just, and you need to walk up to them and you need to shout at our prayer warriors for a little bit, go ahead, they can take it. You shout at them. You shout through them to God. If you need to see that light at the end of this dark tunnel, man, walk up to those prayer team members. The ushers are coming for right now. We're gonna do the offertory, but I just wanna lead us in a little prayer. Father, I thank you and praise you that you are a God who does not forsake us, does not leave us. In fact, you sent your son to die so that we might have our lives. God, I know in our life and in this world, there are often times when, when we feel like you've left the building, when we feel like you, you don't respond to us in the ways that we want, that we want. I pray, Father, that you would give us the strength and the faith to shout out to you, to cry out to you, to scream at you, but to stay in the room with you so that we may be shaped more into who you long for us to be and that we may experience your presence unlike any other time in our life. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and worship with us? God, we thank you and praise you for this offering that we are taking and pray that you would bless it that through it others may be released into that relationship with you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.